We are in Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 24. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy, that he powerfully works within me. That's where we're going to end today because we're going to focus in on verse 28, picking up from where we left off last week, where we talked about what the goal that the Lord has for us as believers, and that is to become mature, spiritually growing um, people of Christ. Let's go to the Lord before we continue on. Father, thank you so much for uh, your heart for us, that you want us to uh, walk in obedience before you. You want us to do your will, that you are gracious to pour out your love upon us day after day after day. Lord, thank you for this beautiful time of worship we had, of lifting up our voices and proclaiming how great you are, how amazing you are. Thank you, Jesus, for the salvation that we have and none other but you and you alone. Lord, we thank you that uh, a year ago, yesterday, that the uh, horrible decision made years and years ago of Roe v. Wade was struck down across this land. You were merciful to this nation. We ask God that, uh, that the work is not finished, it's still going on, that you would continue to have it struck down state by state by state, Lord. Um, the, the places where I know different legislation is held up in the courts that are states that are standing for life, uh, Lord, let those judges judge righteously. And let those laws that are, that are banning the abortion go through, the ones that they are, have passed but are tied up in the courts, Lord, let them come forth out of those courts um, unscathed and let those laws be upheld. Lord, continue to put judges across this land that fear you. Continue to put um, politicians across this land uh, that fear you, God, that, that will bow the knee to none other than you. And we do pray for our state. Uh, we thank you, Lord, that, that the politicians here in many ways have stood for life and stood um, and passed laws to protect uh, innocent life in Missouri. We pray for our county, our elected officials, and those that are appointed, that they would fear you, that they would know that you are the one true God and that your son Jesus is your son and that there is no salvation in none other than Jesus Christ alone. Be merciful to this nation, to this state, uh, and to this county, God. May it reflect your glory uh, in all its attributes. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so I thought today what we would do, because we, we talked last week about being mature in the Lord, and I hit you all with a couple things of what, if you're not doing these things, then you're not mature. And I thought this week we'd, we'd flip the script a little bit and we'd look at things that would be uh, marks of maturity. So my sermon for this week is the marks of maturity. But also, as I was thinking about it, I mean, these are marks of maturity, but these are also marks of if you want to become mature. 
you're like, oh, I, I'll admit I'm not mature, so what do I need to do, pastor, to become mature? Well, these would be things that you could start doing to become mature. So we're going to look at those today. But here's the thing. Listen, when we talk about um, growing spiritually or achieving spiritual maturity, it doesn't automatically come with age. Okay, that can help. But here's the thing. I, I know a lot of spiritually um, immature believers who are old. Right? So it doesn't automatically come with age. Um, age does bring, you know, there's many benefits to age. You know, uh, hopefully you gain wisdom, right? Even unbelievers, God is merciful and gracious to them. The, the sun shines on the just and the unjust. Right? So they can, they can grow in a, in a type of wisdom. Not a, not a biblical wisdom, but a type of wisdom. But here's the thing. Um, it doesn't automatically come with age, and it also doesn't automatically come by being saved for so many years. Right? I mean, so you can be saved for 10 years. You can be saved for 20 years. You can be saved for 30 years. That doesn't make you spiritually mature. It just doesn't. It just means you're, you might be old in the faith, but that doesn't mean you're mature in the faith. Okay? If you, if you pluck an apple off the tree and just leave it there and come back in like four months, I mean, what's that apple going to look like? Right? You got to stay connected to the tree and keep growing. So sometimes it's like people get saved and it's like, it's like the apple that got pulled off the tree and just got set aside. So you come back in a few months, that's not gonna, it's not going to look very pretty. So just, it doesn't automatically, just because you've been saved for X number of years, it doesn't, that doesn't mean that you're mature. Hopefully it does, but it doesn't necessarily. I've heard, you know, people say, oh, I've been saved for 22 years. Well, that's great. Hopefully you've been growing during that time. You've got to grow. It doesn't automatically come by being involved in a particular ministry for so many years. Maybe, you know, you've been serving faithfully in the children's ministry for 10 years. That doesn't mean you're mature. I mean, hopefully you've, you've matured, but it doesn't mean you're mature. And I was involved in a youth ministry years ago, and one of the adult helpers would frequently remind people um, that if they had a difference of opinion on how to do something, they'd, they'd frequently remind people, hey, I've been in youth ministry for 14 years. And I was just like, and hey, maybe you've been doing it wrong for 14 years. <laughs> I mean, right? And that's not to slight any, I mean, with, <clears throat> if we're really growing, then there is something to be said for, hey, the people that have gone before us, they've, they've paved the way, and we can learn something from it. There's a reason why I, I read books from guys that have been dead for hundreds of years, okay? Um, there's nothing new under the sun, and they've, they've paved the way, so let's learn from them. But let's make sure we just, I've, I've strived very hard to never, to never play the, oh, I've been doing this for X number of years. Well, maybe, maybe there is a better way to do it. Maybe I've been doing it wrong for X number of years, right? At least be open to that. So we're going to look at the marks of maturity today. And as we talked about last week, most people think that they're spiritually mature. But here's the thing. What are the things that show I'm mature? And it also, like I said, answers the question, what can I do to become mature? So we're going to look, and we're actually going to look at quite a few of marks of maturity. The first one would be that, that you're pouring into others. And what does that mean? That you are using the gifts that God has given you to uh, 
spiritually edify the church and, and reach the lost. Every person, if you're saved, every single person has at least one spiritual gift. At least one. At least one. And the Lord, what, remember, it's, it's like the parable of the talent. He doesn't just give you that gift so you can bury it in the ground. What does he want you to do with it? I mean, he wants you to use it. He wants you to really multiply that. And so if you have, let's say you have the gift of evangelism, well, what do you think you should be doing? Sharing your faith pretty regularly, right? But you should also, I would say, be learning, hey, what are ways and techniques that I can best share my faith? You'd want to hone your craft, so to speak. God's given you a gift, <clears throat> but it's just like, it's just like um, an athlete. I mean, you have to hone that gift. Hopefully, I'm a better teacher today than I was three years ago, five years ago, 15 years ago, right? Well, well the same with whatever gift the Lord has, has blessed you with. If you have the gift of, of, of being a servant, if you have the gift of, of, of service, hopefully you're, you're more of a servant today than you were three years, five years, ten years ago. Same with any gift. You, sh- you, should, be, you should be exercising that gift. What happens when you exercise? Get stronger, right? So you're pouring into others. Look at 1 Peter chapter 4. First Peter 4 verse 10. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. So what's the point? Yeah, we, we've each got the gift. What are we supposed to do? Use it to serve one another. As good stewards of God's varied grace. Some people, it goes on. Some people, they get the gift of, of speaking. Some people get the gift of serving. <clears throat> Some people get the gift of help. Some people get the gift of administration. But we all get at least one gift. And the Lord wants to use that, us to use it to pour into others, to minister to the body, to edify the body and build it up, and to take the gospel and go forth with it. Second mark of maturity. You're a team player. What does that mean? Well, it's not about you. And it's not about what you want. All right, this church, however many people roughly we have, 35 uh, so families roughly, um, many different ideas of how things should go, many different ideas of how things should run. Um, on, on minor stuff, I, I try 90, 98% of the time just to let the minor stuff go and, and, and empower people to make those decisions. We don't need 15 or 20 committees figuring everything out, but let's empower people to do those things. Uh, the walls in this church have been painted if you didn't know it, okay? And we, we empowered someone to, to make, a couple people to make that decision, pick the color, let's get it done, Right? If, is it my favorite color? Well, yes, it is, because my wife is one, one of the people that's <laughs> <laughs> that chose it. <laughs> but, but the idea is, is that we're on a team. And so think about baseball. How many pitchers can be in the game at the same time? One. And don't talk about the Cubs and what they did you know, a couple years ago in the playoffs when they moved the guy to right field. I get it. <clears throat> but there's really only one pitcher in the game. Just one pitcher, right? And imagine if, if they tried to put two pitchers in at the same time and they both tried to pitch. I mean, would that work out? No. No. You'd, you'd balk at that, right? I mean, literally. 
<laughs> so you know that you have a role. It's like we're on the team. You know you have a role, right? And you're happy to play the role God has given you. Some people, it's up here leading worship. Some people, it's in the sound booth. Some people, it's in the nursery. Some people, it's teaching the catechism. Some people, it's being usher, right? Everyone has a role to play. Are you playing your role? That's the question. You're a team player. Everyone's on the team. Everyone has a jersey. Everyone gets to go up to, at bat. Everyone gets to see the pitches. So you're preparing for that opportunity. You're making sure that you're a team player. Within that, there's unity. Remember what one of our, um, our, our mottos was a few years ago, unity in community. So there's a unity in community. It says in Acts 4, now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. What a beautiful picture of the body of Christ. One heart and soul. That's unity in community. Did they have probably differences of opinion on different minor matters? Sure. But there's unity, not unanimity, not uh, uh, everyone has to think the same thing exactly on every single secondary and tertiary point, but unity. One heart, one soul. So you're a team player, which really leads into the next mark of maturity, which would be you put others first. What does Philippians 2 say? Does anyone know it? Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Look at Philippians 2. Apparently nobody does know it. Okay, Laura sort of knew it. Steve, aren't we quizzing through Philippians this year? Philippians 2, great book. Verse 3, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility. What does it say? Count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. I mean, you're always going to look out for yourself to some extent. Y'all showed up here today. Good job. And you probably ate something. If, you, if you're someone who eats breakfast, you got, you got yourself fed, and thankfully you got yourself clothed, most of you pretty decently. I mean, you're looking out for yourself. All right? Nice hairdos, ladies. Good job. <clears throat> you're you're going to look out for your own interests, but what does it say? Also to the interests of others. Listen, many marriage problems would be solved if this verse was enacted by both spouses. So, so listen to me. It is not about you. It's not about you. It's not about you. So when you make it about you, guess what happens? Things go badly. Okay? The train quickly derails. It's not about you. It's not about you. All right? It's about God. It's about his glory. It's about his, his one and only son, Jesus. Next mark, you're involved in body life. All right, you're not just a Sunday attender. 
think the Colossian church was growing and maturing not just because they got together for church on Sunday for 90 minutes. Okay, they probably had like Colossian casserole Fridays or something. I don't know. All right? We have Reformation Wednesday. We have life groups. We have Bible studies. If you want to love and minister to God's people, back to using those gifts, back to putting others' interests before your own, you got to be involved. You got to be involved to do those things, right? How can you put other interests before your own if, if you don't even know what their interests are, if you're not even around them? So if you want to love and minister to God's people, you have to be around them. I know it's tough. I'm, I mean, seriously, it's, it can be tough to be around people. Even believers. Maybe especially believers. But if you want to love and minister to God's people, you have to be around them. Next, Mark. You support the work of Christ with your finances. Talk is cheap. Talk is cheap. So you put your money where your mouth is. You support the work of Jesus, which means you support the work of his bride, the church. And back to Philippians. Are you still there in Philippians? Okay, good job. Um, Philippians, if you read it from beginning to end, which is pretty easy to do, it's really a giant thank you letter from Paul to the Philippians for the gift that he gave. Okay, boom. That's Philippians in a nutshell. Don't even have to preach through the book now. Now we probably will someday. It's a great book. But look at Philippians chapter 1. Let me just show you it. Verse 3, Philippians 1. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, for you all, making my prayer with joy. And then look at verse 5. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Now time doesn't permit, but that's that, that word. It's like one of the few Greek words that... Um, all believers know, koinonia. But if we did a little, a little study on it, which time doesn't permit, um, we would see that koinonia and that word partnership oftentimes involves some type of financial involvement or commitment on the person um, using the word. So what is he saying? Um, because of your partnership, like you helped out the gospel financially. So that's how he starts. That's, that's how he starts the letter, because of your partnership in the gospel. How does he end the letter? Look at Philippians 4. This is him wrapping it up. Verse 10, Philippians 4. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In, every, in any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet, it was kind of you to share my trouble also. To share my trouble. That's that same word, the fellowship. Look what he goes on to say. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving it. It makes it a little more clear there. There's that word partnership, the koinonia. 
No church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Well, what's the giving and receiving? It's, it's actually financial. So he's thanking them for the gift. He's thanking them for the gift. And then he goes on, verse 17, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. And look what he calls it, a fragrant offering. A sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And that's what our giving is. It's this fragrant offering. It's a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And yeah, giving is a sacrifice. Raise your hand if you handle the finances in your marriage. One of you spouses should. Otherwise, we got some financial counseling for you. (laughs) That might explain some things. (laughs) Okay, if you raise your hand, you need to make sure you keep your your spouse in the loop with the finances. I mean, division of labor is great, even in marriage. Absolutely necessary. But make sure you're keeping them in the loop and not in the dark. Um, If you don't handle the finances, at least be somewhat in the know about them. You know, hey, honey, how are the finances? Are we giving to the Lord's work? Are we... Are we being faithful? Are we being generous? That's good to know. That's, that's the next mark. Okay, the one after that. The word is precious to you. The word is precious to you. Look at Psalm 119. Psalm 19, 119, what did I say? Okay. Psalm 119. Verse 103. How sweet are your words to my taste. Sweeter than honey to my mouth. So you delight in the word. Is, is this the word of God? Yes. Okay. Do you have it in some form in front of you or next to you or in your hand? Yes. Okay. Do you really believe it's the word of God? Yes. Inspired, yes. infallible, inerrant? Yes. Okay. Authoritative? Yes. Completely, entirely? Yes. All right, then we need to treat it like such, right? God has spoken. He has spoken right here. Right here. So we should feast on it. Feast on his words. He's made us every, every day. It's like he's, he's made us this amazing meal. And he invites us to dine with him. Right here. Have a little meal with Jesus. Right here. We can feast. It's a sweet word. If it's precious to us, we need to act like it. We need to spend time in the Word. Let me just be clear. Sometimes people like get on health kicks and different things, and they eat, eat things they don't necessarily want to eat. I try to avoid those as much as possible. Okay, but why do they do that? Like they have a goal that they're you know maybe they're wanting to, to lose weight, maybe they want to whatever feel better, but they, there's something that they're trying to achieve. 
And, it's, and, and, and the eating of that food that is not that pleasant accomplishes the goal. Right? So I, I, can get, I get it that sometimes it can, it can seem, it can seem, the word's not dry, but it can seem dry. I get it. But we're, you're, you're trying to accomplish a goal. Okay? And so you know it's true. You know it's sweet. You know it tastes like honey. You know it's powerful. You know it's inerrant. You know it's infallible. You know it's authoritative. So, I mean, it's just like being on that diet, eating things you don't want to eat. Sometimes, I mean, you got you to eat. Yeah. You got to eat. So you have the daily meal. And, and guess what? You'll get to a point where the Lord will bless and honor. I mean, he will always bless and honor it, but you'll get to a point where it will start to come alive. I mean, it is alive. The word is living and active. But you'll see the living and active part. But if you're just kind of like, oh, flippant about it, and it's just like, oh, once a week you kind of open up for a little, that's not going to do it. I'm just being real with you. You got to be in it, in it. So we're in it because we're, there's a goal. And we're, there's, well, there's a few goals. Paul's actually talking about a few here. But the, the goal is, is walking in maturity, walking in obedience. The goal is God's glory. How is that accomplished? Well, right here, knowing, knowing the word, being able to stand on it. So we're getting in it. Next mark, you share your faith. The Great Commission is meant to be filled, fulfilled by each one of us. Yes, some people might have the gift of evangelism, but everyone's supposed to be sharing. Some people have the gift of discipling, but everyone's supposed to be discipling. So the Great Commission is meant to be fulfilled by each one of us. We play a part. We play a role. We should be regularly sharing our faith. It's just that simple. But how many times do I share with someone, and maybe they've heard it before and they just don't bother telling me, but sometimes I share with people and they're like, I haven't heard that before. Sadly, it's becoming more commonplace these days. Partly because people are unchurched. But it'd be great to get to the point in St. Charles County where we're sharing so much. People are like, yeah, this, this guy the other day was telling me that. Like, let's saturate this county with the gospel. And, and if every church partook in that, we'd get to that. This is the fifth time I've heard it this week. Well, maybe the Lord's trying to tell you something. Andrea was, you know, was sharing with her dad um, just this past week. And as they were uh, walking back to the car, she was talking and encouraging him to download the Bible app and listen to uh, the first chapter of John. And as, she's, as they're walking and talking, this construction worker is, is coming to them, and he has you know, like this large contraption, and, and there's like some, some noise coming from it. And as they get closer, they realize, oh, it's, like, uh, it's, it's an app that's playing. And, and the guy overhears them, Andrea, talking about the Bible, and he's like, are you talking about the Bible? And she's like, yes, I am. And he's like, I like the Bible. I'm listening to it right now. Now, how, how do you think that impacted her dad? No coincidence, right? This, this random construction worker carrying his equipment, and he's listening to the Word of God. The very thing that she was encouraging her dad to do when he got in his car. All right? So you're sharing your faith. You're also looking for ways to grow. That's the next mark. Mature Christians want to keep growing. 
we never reach a point of, of having attained it, having reached it. No, we want to we keep growing. So let's not be like some believers, you know, they just like sprout when they first get saved, and then it's just like a plateau. And I'm, I'm r- regularly asking the Lord and even examining, like 1 Corinthians says myself, like, hey, have I plateaued? Because I don't want to plateau. I don't want to plateau. I want to keep growing. So let's make sure that we are looking. So then the question is, okay, so if I don't want to plateau, I need to look for ways to grow. What are those things? What are those ways? Well, some of them we've already talked about. But look for ways to grow. Be intentional about your, your growth. Make a list. Some of you are taking notes. That's good. But make a list. And that's why, you know, things like, even like a foundations conference, oftentimes what, to, what really happens, in, in, in my opinion, this is just my opinion, but with spiritual growth, is it doesn't necessarily feel like we're growing in the midst of something. So we go to the foundations conference or we do the life groups for a year. But what happens is, is we look back like in six months or a year or two years, and you're like, oh, man, that, I was really growing, and that was really helping me. And sometimes in the midst of it, we just don't necessarily see it. But we're, we do those things because we know those things will help us to grow. And a lot of times, I mean, God's doing some amazing stuff in our life, and, and we are growing, and it's just like because we're in the thick of it, we don't realize it. I mean, the reverse is true. We can actually slide backwards, and then we can look back six months in a year, and you're like, uh, I've not been doing so hot. Because it's a, it's, a, it's a slow fade. Well, the same is true with spiritual growth. A lot of times, you know, sometimes we have those moments where it's like, wow, we just had this new insight and God totally blew our minds away. We learned something new that we had never known before that was right there in the scriptures the entire time. But oftentimes, it's just, it's, it's, a, it's a gradual growth. It's like, it's like your kids. You know, most, most kids, you know, they just, you know, just like, you don't really like, oh, wow, you like grew four inches in the last week. Doesn't usually happen. But then what happens, what is, you know, friends you haven't seen in a couple years are like, oh my goodness, your kids have grown so much, right? Well, hopefully, when people are interacting with us that they haven't seen, they're, they're thinking, wow, they're, I mean, the Lord's doing something in their life. They're growing spiritually. So look for ways to grow. A few more things. Prayer is part of your daily life. What does 1 Thessalonians 5, 17 say? Pray without ceasing. Pray continuously. So it's this idea throughout the day, you're talking with the Lord. It's an attitude of prayer. Here's the thing. Spend time praying for others, not just yourself. Spend time praying for others. But prayer is a part of your daily life. Yes, you're setting aside time each day to, to sit down and pray, but throughout the day, you're walking in, in, in that attitude of prayer. Some might call it walking in the presence of, of the Lord. But it, it's just, it's a conversation. Two more things. Look at Psalm 119. We're just going back a couple verses. Psalm 119, verse 100. Verse 100, I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. 
So what is he saying? Wisdom. But where is that wisdom coming from? From the fact that he's walking in obedience to the word. So that mark of maturity is you actually do what the word says. Look back at it. I understand more than age, for I keep your precepts. Not just know, that's good, we need to know them, but I keep your precepts. What's the mark of wisdom? Doing what the word says. What's the mark of maturity? Doing what the word says. So you say, oh, he, that person's wise and mature because they actually do what God commands. Lastly, you love what Jesus loves. And it's multifaceted. I mean, Jesus loved the Father. Jesus loved the Scriptures. Jesus loved people. And it means, like, you're willing to stand on the Word regardless of the cost. Because you love what Jesus loves. Everything he loves, he tells us right here. You love what Jesus loves. And Jesus loved, I mean, even Jesus loved children, right? He blessed them. He used them in illustrations to discuss what real faith looks like. He highly valued them. So you love people. Love your neighbor as yourself. Second greatest commandment. And oftentimes, what happens when we're talking about us loving people, us ministering to people, us making a difference, us making a difference um, in the church and outside the church, us making a difference uh, in St. Charles County, us making a difference in Missouri, us making a difference in this nation, us making a difference in this world. Look, we're, we're not going to Belize in a few weeks just because that'd be fun to get on a plane and, and travel to a different country. We're going to make a difference. And we're going because we love people. We're going because we're going to obey the word. And some of you have participated by, by giving to, to help get us there. And some are, are participating by going. Some are participating by praying. You're, we're, all, we're all going to Belize. You know what I'm saying? Okay, we're all going. And some are just physically going. But we're all partaking in that. And so we love people. But what happens is, I mean, we can sometimes look at the culture and, and see what's going on. And we end up with what, I mean, God's doing some amazing stuff. Um, <clears throat> even if we, you know, I prayed about and, and gave God the glory earlier for striking down Roe v. Wade. These are stats from a, a pro-choice organization. Um, in states that had bans, there was 94,000 fewer abortions between last year, July, and this year, March. Now, as expected, the states that didn't have as many bans or restrictions or any bans at all, I mean, the numbers did rise. But when you do the math, this is from a pro-choice organization, there was a net decrease of 24,000 abortions in the last nine months. Hard facts. Uh, some, and, and they're saying some of these states where it's tied up uh, and, the, and, the, and the judges have, have, have put the laws on hold or, and they're trying to figure out if they're constitutional or not, if those laws go, go forward, even these pro-choice organizations are saying more lives will be saved. So we pray, and we believe, and we trust. And sometimes, though, we can end up, if we're not careful, with a defeatist mentality. And the last time I checked, uh, Jesus wins in the end. Okay? So d don't have a defeatist mentality like, oh, we're going to lose. Listen, so many basketball games, I've been to hundreds of basketball games over the years, uh, elementary, junior high, high school. I've been to a lot of college. 
um, only a couple NBA, but I've been to those too. But so many basketball games I've seen that have been lost before the game ever started because the team didn't believe it could win. The game was over before the, the, the ball was even tipped. No, and I mean, we're, we're guaranteed the victory and we can walk away and walk around with a defeatist mentality sometimes. Okay, we, I checked the ending, okay, we win. All right? So let's get rid of that defeatist mentality of we're going to lose. Let's get rid of that defeatist mentality that it's too late. It's never too late. It's never too late. I mean, you want to, you want to tell uh, believers in China, in Iran, in North Korea, it's too late? Is that what you want to tell them? No, they're standing firm. They're standing firm. It's never too late. So Jesus defeated death. Amen? And Jesus defeated the grave. And Jesus defeated the devil. And what did he say? The gates of hell won't prevail. Right? Won't prevail. So the only defeatist mentality you can have is the one where Jesus is the defeater. Right? He's the one doing the defeating. And we're on his side. Here's, we, we just have two options. As a church. In your family. As a nation, we've got two options. Christ or chaos. It's Christ or chaos. Every nation, every society, every church, every family has that choice, Christ or chaos. I mean, think about, it's, it's a shame we don't always sing some of the Christmas songs, or they at least got kind of pegged as Christmas songs, but Joy to the World. It's one of my favorites. He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and wonders of his love. It's Christ or chaos. Christ or chaos. And governments end up in one of two places. If they don't have Christ, they end up in one of two places. You end up with a licentious anarchy or you end up with despotic tyranny. And usually if you have the first, it can, it can turn into the second. I mean, we're kind of seeing that. We kind of have the licentious, and anything goes, just do it, whatever you want. But what, what have we seen? I mean, it's really turning into a tyranny. Do whatever you want as long as it's the things we say you can do. As long as it's on the approved list, then do whatever you want. No dissent is allowed. Men, it's time to start acting like men, and to stand against what the world and the devil is throwing against you and against your family and against your church. Act like real men, like the one God calls us to be. Spiritual maturity, it's almost like it's not even an option if you're a father or a husband. Some of you might treat it that way, but it's not. 1 Corinthians 16, verse 13, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, Act like men. So set the example in your home. Take the time to minister to your wife. Love, cherish, nourish. Not, not in the abstract, but in concrete, tangible ways. Make it easier for your wife to submit to you. She trusts you. Make that true, that she can trust you, that she knows you have her best interest at heart. It's a lot easier to submit when that's the case. Men, teach your boys 
to be men. Or guess what the world's going to teach them to be? Women. Teach your girls to be godly young ladies. And listen, if it doesn't start with loving Jesus, then just stop right there, because you got to get that part right. They need to know that you love Jesus, and he is first and foremost in your life. He is the top priority. He has to be number one. Some people wrongly define being a man as strength or harshness or coldness or lack of affection or providing they're not reading their Bible. They're not reading it. We have an amazing heavenly Father who provided a perfect example. We have none other than Jesus Christ himself who walked as a man among us and showed us how to interact, how to minister, how to love. Those are the examples. And Paul himself is even bold enough, filled by the Spirit, to say, follow my example as I follow Christ. So we have godly men among us that we can look to and see and be encouraged by their example. But it must start with loving Jesus. Listen, how you treat your wife is how you're training your boys to treat their wives. And it's how you're training your daughters to expect to be treated by their husbands. I mean, that, that can be kind of stinging, if we're honest. So men, it's time for us to get right with the Lord. And to do what 1 Corinthians 16 says, act like men. Act like men. So if we need to repent to our wife, to our children, then do it. Humble yourself and do it. Now, if you look back at the list of all the different things listed, and after hearing this, you might think, man, I have a long way to go. Well, that's probably true. So do I. So what do you do? Ask the Lord for help. I'm daily praying for these different things on this list. Daily praying to be a better witness. Daily praying to put others before myself. Daily praying to love God's people more. Daily praying to love his word like I should. All those, I'm, I'm praying. I'm praying through those things. And here's the thing, it's baby steps. Baby steps. You know, so pick one or two of those. You're like, man, I'm not doing so good there. Okay, pick one or two of those and start working on it. Don't try to tackle the whole list, but ask, ask the Lord for help on those one or two things. Do you think he's not going to answer that prayer? Seriously? If you're asking him for help to walk in obedience, he will certainly most honorably bless and answer that prayer. And listen, babies don't start walking and talking in the first month of their lives, thankfully. Okay? Right? It takes them a while. Well, it's going it's to take all of us a, a while if we're going to keep growing. So pick one or you guys need me to list those things so you can pick one or two of them? All right, I got to go backwards in order here. All right, so here's the marks of maturity. Pick one or two of them. Pour into others. Be a team player. Put others first. 
Be involved in body life. Support the work of Christ with your finances. Make the word precious to you. Share your faith. Look for ways to grow. Make prayer a part of your daily life. Do what the word says. Love what Jesus loves. With Christ, it's possible. Amen? With Christ, it's possible. Let's pray. Lord, whatever one or two things each person here chose, God, would you, by your power, by your spirit, fill them right now. Fill them right now to start working on those things. Let them be humble and know it's, they're not going to pull themselves up by their own bootstraps and do it. It's going to be by your mercy and grace. So whatever one or two, Lord, may they, may they put their hand to the plow on those things and not look back. May they, may they endeavor to do those things and do them well for your glory. Lord, I pray that you would take each one of us, take, take the body of believers at liberty and mature us and grow us. Mature us and grow us. Baby steps, Lord, but may you mature us and grow us. To walk in your ways, to think like you think, to speak like you would have us to speak, to be a blessing to others, to love others, to minister to others, and to do it all for your glory. We love you, Lord. We love you. Amen.